Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this morning. We're going to try to find some answers to your questions. If you've called one in or sent one into the website lately, we hope we get to it today. If you're a first-time viewer, that's a pretty good hint about what we do here is we just answer Bible questions. Actually, we answer people's questions that uh, probably have an answer in the Bible. A lot of people ask direct questions about the Bible. A lot of people ask life questions that uh, they wonder what the Bible has to say about that topic. We're happy to look into the Bible and try to give you some of God's principles on things that might help you in your life or your study of the Bible. So that's how we operate. Let me introduce my good friend Toby Levering. He's back. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. Our viewers, most of them know how the program works. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use that anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We always start with one for our viewers, so here's your question for the day. Solomon's parents, if you know who Solomon's parents were, the king in the Old Testament, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, we'll see if you and your family got it right. Toby, I think you drew the first one today, you got an animal question here. Yeah, here. a viewer wants to know, what is the difference between clean and unclean animals in the Old Testament? Uh, well, a viewer is very astute and certainly has w read uh, well into the Old Testament. And uh, if you read far enough and you get about to Leviticus 11, uh, you'll find some, uh, to us, uh, strange lists of clean and unclean animals. And uh, part of it what had to do with dietary, and part of it had to do with the kind of animals that they could bring in the sacrificial system. This is why you find it in the book of Leviticus, because it was written to, largely to the Levite priests concerning uh, their regulations uh, uh, of the Old Testament sacrificial system of worship. So these are not uh, lists which apply to us today, but it is interesting to look at and uh, we can uh, understand a little bit more uh, of what God had in mind and why He had in mind now that we're many centuries later and understand the science behind all that. But to answer your specific question, uh, the clean animals uh, generally were land animals that did two things. They chewed the cud and they had a divided hoof. And so cattle and deer and goats and sheep, uh, those were all considered clean. Uh, they added some seafood with, and it had to have both fins and scales. And there were certain birds like chickens and doves and ducks. And so uh, there's all of those, and even some insects, grasshoppers and locusts you could eat if you wanted to, I guess. Uh, wouldn't be my first choice particularly, but uh, unclean animals were land animals that either either did not chew the cud or did not have a split hoof. And so some examples of that would be dogs and cats and uh, horses and donkeys and rats. 
uh, seafood that didn't have fins and scales like shellfish and lobster and oysters and catfish. Um, some birds like owls and hawks and vultures and uh, some reptiles and other amphibians as well. So uh, now you read through all of that and you go, what, what was really the point there? Well, a part of it is just uh, God explaining to his people Okay, if you eat these things as you wander through the desert and as you go through the foreign lands, uh, you're going to be healthier uh, and you're not going to have any of the physical problems or illnesses. Remember, this is before modern medicine, before uh, refrigeration. A lot of the food uh, th technology that we take for granted today uh, is due to those tech, uh, technological advances. They didn't have that back then. And so uh, God just gave them a list of things to eat and things not to eat and things to uh, bring to for the sacrifice and things to not bring. Uh, so that if you look at those things, that's a wonderful uh, thing that God did for them to keep them healthy uh, for their journey and over uh, throughout the lands. Of course, we live under the new covenant today. Uh, we don't have those restrictions. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad idea to maybe if you one person wanted to just eat only the clean things but it's not certainly not required and a big misunderstanding people get into is oh god says you can't do this and uh well you have to understand the covenant so uh, we understand as new testament christians that the old law was fulfilled by jesus and nailed to the cross and we don't <coughs> live under its restrictions anymore let's look at colossians chapter 2 verse 16 where paul writes <clears throat> therefore do not let anyone judge you what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So, Steve, if you'd like to roast yourself some owl, I guess you can. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I think he did just fine on his list, and, and I'm <laughs> glad I don't have to. I'm glad I don't have to follow it. <laughs> Me um, too. Viewers want to know a little bit more about Satan. Was Satan the most beautiful angel? Well, that's a very popular idea. A lot of folks believe that, and a lot of people talk about that, and uh, especially a lot of the books that are written about angels and things give us a lot more information than the Bible gives us about uh, angels and Satan and all of that. But uh, there is a verse that sounds like that, and first let's just read the verse by itself, and it'll sound like Satan was the most beautiful angel. Let's go to Ezekiel 28 and verse 12. Uh, the verse says, You were the model of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. All right, if somebody reads that verse to you and tells you that's talking about Satan, you might say, well, he was the most beautiful angel before he got thrown out of heaven. But context is very important, and we always talk about context here. Uh, it, one good clue to context, if you see something in a chapter and you don't want to take time to read the whole chapter, uh, just go back to the start, or sometimes it's in the middle of a chapter, there's a little slogan, a little heading in most Bibles. Uh, technically, that's called the pericope, but it's a summary of what that chapter is about. So in Ezekiel 30, 28, if you go back to the top of the chapter, the little pericope says, In mine, a prophecy against the king of Tyre. Oh, so now maybe we learn something else. We start reading for context, and we see in verse 1 and 2, The word of the Lord came to me, that's to Ezekiel, Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then it talks for a while, and then it gets over to verse 11. That's right before our verse. 
And it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre, and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. And then we read our verse, that you were the model of perfection, etc. So the, ver the chapter is written about the king of Tyre. Now, uh, were two, there were two cities that back in those days, Tyre and Sidon, you may have heard of those, and the king of Tyre, God is condemning him and talking about how far he had fallen and how he was perfect and everybody loved him and all of that, uh, but he's disobeyed God and he's not doing so well anymore. Now, I think it possibly has two meanings. I think it may be talking uh, about the king of Tyre and about Satan because there's a lot of it that sounds exactly like Satan. And God's wise enough and uh, has enough mystery in some of his things that he may be talking about the king of Tyre and Satan. So uh, I think it's all right to believe that Satan was the most beautiful angel. I wouldn't uh, fight to the death about it or make a great big deal about it. But uh, technically that chapter is talking about the king of Tyre and not Satan. So Satan may have been the most beautiful angel. They got kicked out of heaven for some reason, at least. <laughs> all right. Uh, Toby's turn. Yeah, yep. you wanted to, all you had to do was describe how Satan looks. I just got to do a little bit of marriage counseling. Okay. So right. a person wants to know: Should I stay? Uh, should a person, excuse me, stay in an abusive marriage uh, just because God hates divorce? Well, uh, again, as we if we get marriage and divorce questions, especially ones like this where it sounds like someone's thinking of a precise couple or marriage situation, let me hasten to say uh, this is not a marriage counseling program. And there are two sides to every story. So uh, I'm going to give you some general biblical principles, uh, and uh, hopefully they will be helpful to you. But in general, if a marriage is having problems, you need to seek a Christian counselor uh, to help you work through uh, these issues and, uh, and let he or she determine uh, if the marriage is uh, beyond repair, shall we say. Um, you you say uh, the term abusive marriage, and uh, that's kind of the part I want to focus on that. I, I don't think a, a genuine, sincere husband and wife, uh, if they truly understood what the scriptures say about marriage, uh, would uh, in any way abuse their spouse. Uh, they wouldn't abuse them verbally or physically or sexually or any other thing like that. That's just not how Christ called Christian husbands and Christian wives to be. Um, and so uh, then I have to back up and say, well, I, is this marriage coming from the foundation of Christ? And that's a big one. That's, that's an important understanding because uh, if you don't view Christ as Lord, if both husband and wife don't, uh, you're on pretty shaky ground already. And any teaching that we give you from the Bible is really going to fall on deaf ears. Um, biblically, it's God's will has been since the beginning for marriage to be one man and one woman for a lifetime together. Uh, he's very clear in Malachi. He says, I hate divorce. And he's talking, he just hates it when a covenant is made between two parties and they promise to one another to be, you know, for their uh, support and love one another forever. And then they go back on their word at some point. And divorce happens, and when it happens, most of the time it happens because of sin. Uh, so, <clears throat> if it is indeed real abuse, and not just abuse like, you know, um, my spouse won't let me use the credit card, and I really like to buy some new things. Well, that's not abuse. But if it's genuine abuse, 
my counsel is just to uh, get out of imminent danger, uh, call the police and, and let them settle the matter. And then uh, beyond that, get some counseling and try to work through it if you can. Uh, but if it's beyond, if it's true abuse and somebody won't change, you may have to get a divorce because that person won't live up to their vows. Um, and so that would make it difficult. So uh, in general, God is pro-marriage. He wants the covenant to stay together. And as uh, married couples, we should strive for that. And we should support other marriages as well. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 together, where Paul writes in the same way, <clears throat> Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Now, this is a profound mystery, he goes on to say, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Uh, however, each, of, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so with these two mutual ideas of love and respect, we find them working together between a husband and wife relationship. Uh, if you're looking for more specifics, I would counsel you to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the attributes of love, patience, and kindness, and so forth, and, and that will help you. So in three minutes, that's the best I can give you. Uh, beyond that, get a good Christian counselor to help you work through those things. All right. Always good advice. Let me just add one thing. Some people take that verse about God hates divorce, and they seem to think, it means God hates it when somebody finally files for divorce and the judge stamps it and all that. That's not what he hates about divorce. I yeah. mean, yes, he hates it, but he hates the consequences of divorce. He hates what divorce causes. And if you think about it that way, uh, a lot of the problems are there before the official divorce. But uh, anybody that's been involved or knows somebody involved in a divorce, we were talking about a family the other day at home, my wife and I, and, and uh, this kid's messed up this way, and this kid's hurting this way, and this distant relative is, I mean, it's just, divorce causes so many disastrous ripple effects mm -hmm. uh, that we hate it yeah. you know God hates it uh, it's not about that final piece of paper that he hates it's the whole mess that it causes so absolutely uh, causes all sorts of problems <laughs> all righty let me invite you to uh, study the Bible in a different way than you may be doing it uh, we enjoy studying the Bible with you but uh, we advocate uh, some home Bible study and we have some free materials to help you get involved in that a lot of people want to study the Bible and want to learn more about it, but uh, Toby was talking about Leviticus a while ago. You get to reading in Leviticus and uh, you get tired pretty quickly. It's uh, not the most fun book to read, uh, but there's lots of good stuff in it. Well, Leviticus is good stuff. It's just kind of boring. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is a lot more interesting than that, uh, but finding it and learning from it is there's some different ways to do that. And the course that you see on the screen right now uh, introduces you to the Bible that way. It starts with some big topics like understanding the Old Testament and then understanding the New Testament. And that gets you grounded and gets you started right. And then the other topics that it covers give you some of the big basics of the Bible. Uh, once you've been through this course, you'll have a pretty good grasp of what the Bible's about and why it was written and uh, some of the major themes of it. Then we've got some more advanced courses, 
that will get you into the details of Jesus' life or uh, the book of Acts and how the church started and uh, lots of very interesting studies. Absolutely free of charge. We provide it all for you. We even pay the postage for you. So if you want to study the Bible and learn a lot more about it, we've got some helps for you. We'd be happy to provide them. All you need is that phone number, that website, let us know you want it. We'll start it for you all just immediately, and uh, you can learn a lot more about your Bible. So give us a try on that. All right, question about suicide. Viewer wants to know, where does the Bible talk about suicide? Well, very little does the Bible talk about suicide. It doesn't use the word as such, but it does talk about some people uh, that it could be called suicide. So I made a list of all the ones I could find that were close to suicides. Uh, let's put that on the board, and if you want to write some of them down, you can. Uh, Abimelech, back in Judges. Samson, now Samson, you remember, pushed the pillars of the temple over and killed all the Philistines. Well, he killed himself also. Uh, so that could be called suicide, I guess. Uh, Saul and his servant, uh, Ahithophel in 2 Samuel, Zimri, and Judas, of course, one probably the most famous case of suicide, hung himself uh, because he had betrayed Jesus. Now, uh, those lists, of, when I introduced it, I said those are could-be suicides. Whether you'd call Samson uh, a suicide or not, he was in war, basically, and died killing Philistines. And some of the others there, in fact, a lot of the others, were probably closer to what we'd call euthanasia than suicide. Uh, they had been, for instance, Abimelech, the first one, he had been wounded in war. Uh, Saul and his servant had been wounded in war. And they knew that if the enemy captured them alive, they'd torture them and they'd make an example out of them and all of that. So they took their own lives or had somebody take it for them uh, to prevent being captured and tortured and all that. So. Uh, that's probably a little closer to euthanasia than suicide, but uh, those are the cases I could find that the Bible mentions somebody that could be suicide. Now, the important thing about this is the Bible makes no comment about those deaths. It just reports them. It just says, here's the fact. Abimelech was wounded. He called his sword bearer and asked him to draw his sword and kill him uh, so the end would come quicker. Uh, there's no judgment about whether what they did was good or bad. It just is reporting history, just telling us what happened. Uh, so in essence, the Bible says nothing about suicide. The Bible does condemn murder. And some people reason, well, suicide is self-murder. So therefore, if murder's wrong, then suicide's really wrong. Uh, the problem I have with that is that suicide is a unnatural act. Uh, the first basic instinct that is inherent in mankind is self-preservation. And so to go against that basic instinct and take your own life to hurt yourself, uh, there's something wrong there somewhere. Uh, there's something wrong with the mind that would do that, that would break the very first basic rule of uh, humanity and take their own life. So. What I'm saying is it's not a natural act, and God understands why it happened. We may try to judge and say, well, this or that or the other, or we may just try to call all suicide uh, <clears throat> a fatal sin and say they're going to hell. I don't believe that's the right way to think about it. 
uh, I trust God to think about it. Uh, he knows exactly their mind, the condition of their mind, the condition of their heart. He is a merciful God. Uh, he will make the right decision about their place in eternity. So uh, I know the viewer didn't ask about that, but a lot of people are affected by suicide and, and wonder about that, and I wanted to add that. But the Bible doesn't talk much about suicide. It gives seven instances where maybe we could call it suicide. Offers no judgment, no uh, comments on it really. Just says these people did this. <laughs> All right, Toby. Viewer wants to know, <clears throat> will aborted and miscarried babies uh, go to heaven? <clears throat> well, in my opinion, yes, they will. Uh, this is a difficult question, of course, uh, because the scriptures do not directly address the eternal condition of uh, really many uh, folks. It uh, seems to be a judgment that God will make and that it will be individual to each, each person. Uh, kind of like Steve addressed suicide uh, in our last question. I believe uh, along those lines, uh, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us about the eternal condition of, of aborted, miscarried babies uh, directly. I use, uh, to get my answer, some principles, which we're going to look at here as we go along through the answer. Uh, the first is that God loves and protects the innocent all throughout Scripture, uh, from the uh, Israelite uh, covenant uh, under the Mosaical law, it was to watch after the orphan and the widow. Uh, even under the New Testament, James says, uh, pure religion is to look after uh, the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So uh, very, uh, one of the great pillars of both covenants was this idea that not only does God love and protect the innocent, but he wants his people to do the same. Um, in this case, um, tragically, a um, um, baby is miscarried uh, in those situations. I don't believe that's anyone's fault. Um, and it's just a tragedy of life. And uh, I believe God is going to take care of that little one uh, whose eternal soul will be in heaven with him. Uh, the, uh, in the case of the abortion, I still believe it's a soul. It's a, a creature of God. And uh, God still knows that baby's name, whether we ever get to or not. Uh, he knows the plans and the hopes and the dreams for that little child. And even though it didn't get to see those days, tragically, uh, that child is safe where uh, he or she can never be harmed uh, again. So uh, that's, in general, the principles we know of from Scripture, that God loves, protects the innocent, uh, that God knows us before we're born. And... Um, I think that tells us that, in general, when these things happen, the little ones are going to be taken care of. Let's look at Psalm 139, uh, which gives us some of these uh, very scriptural ideas. Uh, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And uh, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Uh, scripture is very clear that God loves and cherishes the innocent and even uh, the <coughs> unborn. So uh, I hope that helps. All right. If you ever want to get another angel question here, 
viewer wants to know what does the Bible teach about Michael the archangel? Well, about all the Bible teaches is in that question. There is an angel named Michael, and the Bible does call him the archangel, but it doesn't tell us too much more about him. Uh, like I said earlier, the books about uh, angels and all of that that are written, uh, people have dreamed up all kinds of hierarchies and titles and figured a lot out that the Bible doesn't say. But Michael is called the archangel. There's only three places that he's mentioned. Let's look at those and we'll see what it tells us. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 and Jan Daniel chapter 12, uh, he's called the special protector of Israel in those verses, but it just mentions Daniel the archangel, calls him a prince in one of those. Uh, then Jude, Jude verse 9, it says that he protected the body of Moses, and that's a story we don't know really anything about, but somehow he battled Satan over the body of Moses. And then Revelation 12:7 is probably the biggest assignment uh, we read of him having. It says he led the uh, angelic armies against the great dragon. So uh, the prophecy there and what that all means, we're not sure. But the spiritual warfare, uh, Michael the archangel is involved in it in big ways. So uh, we're just not told much about him. But yes, there is a Michael the archangel mentioned in the Bible. All right, let me take just a minute and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Where, uh, this program is put on the air by Churches of Christ in your area, and we like to mention one or two of them each week and uh, thank them for providing uh, support for us and ask you to go visit them or give them a thank you. Today let's talk about the Moline Church of Christ up in Moline, Illinois, in the Quad Cities. A uh, great group of folks up there and uh, fairly new supporters of Know Your Bible, and we're glad to have them on board. And, uh, recommend them as a good place you could find for a church home. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, you'd find some folks there that think and study about the Bible like we do on this program. Uh, I know you'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, great a bunch of folks. So drop in there sometime, and if you know somebody that attends there, just tell them that you uh, saw them on Know Your Bible and appreciate them providing the program for you. Toby, can you answer one in a minute? I think we can do it. Okay. Uh, a viewer wants to know, was Jacob a polygamist since he married both Leah and Rachel? We find this story in Genesis chapter 29, and the direct answer to the question is yes. A polygamist is a person who's married to more than one person at a time, and certainly Jacob was with uh, Jacob and Rachel and Rachel's sister Leah. It's a very interesting story. Now, we need to understand, of course, that the, just because it's in the Bible uh, doesn't mean that the Bible's condoning uh, everything that's in there. The Bible's a very honest book, and it tells accurately the historical version of what happened uh, in the stories of imperfect people and how a perfect God uses them. So uh, we have to use discretion, and just because we find it, we find lots of other things in the Bible that God <coughs> specifically doesn't condone. Let's look at the verse uh, that tells us what do God does condone in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. As we say many times, God's purpose for marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. So uh, it's in there, but uh, not necessarily because God condones polygamy. That's right. We wrote down our biography. We might yeah. not want our children to read all of it. We might uh, leave a yeah. few parts out. Uh, because we don't condone it, we yep. don't recommend it, but yep. the Bible's honest. It just tells what directly. happened. Yep. All right, we're glad you've been with us today. We want to make sure we get your uh, trivia question answered, so let's do that. Solomon's parents, who were his parents? And the answer is David and Bathsheba. 
Solomon was a result of uh, that union, uh, not the first result of that union, but eventually Solomon came from David and Bathsheba. Um, we're out of time for questions today, but we're going to invite you to be back next week when we try to answer some more of them. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course, do that today. Then tune in next week, and we'll answer some more questions. We're glad you've been with us. Have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.